Hey there, and welcome into another episode of the Pull Up Jays podcast. Lots to get to on this episode, but first we got to talk about what happened this weekend. ASU knocks off UCLA by 18 on Thursday and probably the best shooting performance of the season. Two days later, in what seems to be a game that ASU typically would lose by 20, and it looked that way in the first half. They were down by eight going into the break. All of a sudden, they start pressing and pressuring and hitting shots. Well, no, they didn't hit shots. They did anything but hit shots. They went 0 for 15, had an 11-minute drought, and somehow pulled it out in a real defensive performance. But when you look at it, ASU got turnovers, went on the fast break. It's the prototypical thing of... When ASU is good, this is what should happen. And it happened in very small stretches. But somehow they pulled that one out. Now they're looking at 15-8 and eight overall, 6-4 and four in the conference, right on the bubble. Which, three weeks ago, I don't know if people could have expected this. And when you look at the rest of the season, they have a legit shot at the NCAA tournament. And wow, what a total 180 from the beginning of Pac-12 play when they lose to Arizona and and lose at Oregon and lose against Colorado. And it just seemed like their hopes were dashed at that point. And credit this team for, for really coming back and really uh, making a charge that I think has fell short a little bit in the last couple of years. So we're going to get to that. Um, we're going to talk to uh, Jack Harris, who was a former host of this podcast in, in its inception, now uh, covering a bunch of stuff at the LA Times, but he was at the USC game. So we talk about that and and his perception of ASU being away from it for a year. And then uh, there was a little media scrum, uh, just two uh, reporters talking to uh, ASU assistant coach Rashawn Burno, and he kind of provided a little bit of um, some details about ASU's ball movement and and some of their players that uh, Hurley just sometimes doesn't delve all the way into, but Rashawn, I think, really gives a a good look at some of that stuff. Um, So we'll get to that all coming up right now. We bring in an old friend to the Pull Up Jays podcast. Were you the one that created this thing? Old friend, yeah, yeah, founder of the Pull Up Jays. Founder. Well, co-founder, I should say. I know. You know it, was, it was a collaborative idea between uh, fellow Devil's Digest alums, Justin Toscano and Jeff Griffith. So I'm I glad that uh, I'm glad that uh, another Jay was able to step in. I, I know we're gonna have to find someone after me. Uh, just another Jay, I think, or you'll. It'll have to be just a completely rebrand. I don't think it can go on without a J. Well, you know, it's a dual. The, the, the name of the podcast does have the dual meaning, so that is maybe true. Good work. Whoever and J. I know it was great. It was your, fun. Uh, your uh, your credit card was on the SoundCloud account for quite a while. We were just milking off that. I, then, I was uh, aware. Then you figured it out. That was disappointing. Yeah. I think the downside is I was looking the other day. I don't I don't know if uh, you can access some of those original season archives, which are really great. You know, you can really? ask Jeff or Justin. You, they will attest to some of the, uh, the real, you know, focused, non-tangential discussions that we have. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure one of them we delved into like really weird like court designs around college basketball. 
Oh, uh, yep, I think I remember that. Yeah. I just remember you three crowding around a very small mic inside of a Cronkite edit bay. And it was like some of you guys would sit back, some would move forward. Oh, that was great. Good time. Yeah. My my right. happiest uh, creation or whatever you want to call it was finding the, the intro music to this, which I think is Honestly, really, really good. really draws where, in the audience. Where did you get it? Because when I had to – just about every time that I go and, and make one of these or edit it, I have to go back to, like, the original email you sent me, like, two years ago. Yeah, where'd you even find that? I think on binsound.com. You know, this is great content for all the listeners. Honestly, really, yeah. Uh, really inside baseball on uh, this booming podcast. It really is. All right, Jack, fine. We'll, we'll get out of our inside little baseball thing. Jack, yeah. this is big. Uh, you were at the game on, what was that, Saturday? Saturday night. Wow, covering for the LA Times, it's a little bit of a step down from from the the other ASU media outlets, but it'll do. I guess uh, they could scrap together enough funds to send you over there. Um, we were sitting right next to each other. You had to cover it from a USC angle, but like, how many players did you remember from your your time covering ASU? It's a lot different. You know, it, it is different, um, and I think what's most different is. As someone who covered ASU the, the previous two seasons, you really, you know, I really expected Kamani Lawrence and Keishon Cherry and maybe to a lesser degree Elias Baltonin, but guys like that really seemed primed to help fill in some of these roles that the Sun Devils lost the last couple of years, you know, with Zylan Cheatham leaving and, of course, you know, the, the – the trio of guards that were on that original team under Hurley that went to the NCAA tournament. So in one respect, you know, it's surprising to me having uh, sort of, you know, loosely followed ASU this season, but then really diving back in to check up on them this weekend to cover these games. Uh, Just how different the production is than what I would have expected um, from guys like Alonzo Verge. And I know uh, Kylie Thomas, is coming on as of late. Same story with Jalen Graham, um, and I think it's been it's been part of the story with Bobby Hurley's tenure at ASU. It seems like is he's been able to find guys to come in and play really important roles, especially through JUCO routes or transfer players who can who have supplemented the roster in really important ways. And I think uh, you know this this game on Saturday. Rob Edwards, another good example. You know, this game on Saturday was the epitome of that when you look at some of the, the guys who made the key plays in that game. Um, it, were, it was those sorts of players. But, yeah, going back to your main point, it is much different than I would have expected the team to look like. But it seems like as of late they've, uh, they're have they starting to gel a little bit better um, to try to get to a third straight NCAA tournament, which in and of itself, of course, you know, in ASU history is a pretty uh, – that would be a pretty lofty accomplishment. Okay, let's go back to your, your original point you made, because you brought up that you expected a lot more contributions from probably Elias Baltonin, Tayshawn Cherry, Kamani Lawrence, and these are all guys that when you go back and look at it, I'm pretty sure they were all top 100 guys, maybe right. a fringe, and then you look at it now and it's like... Especially Cherry and Lawrence. Like yeah, guys Cherry. Were, were different top 50 prospects. And now I don't know if they're a top 100 in the Pac-12, and it's kind of crazy how how their development, I don't know, hasn't hasn't gone the way people thought, how what they've uh, brought to ASU has just been so underwhelming for the Sun Devils. Do you think that that's a thing where 
those guys in particular were, I don't know, perhaps over overhyped, over recruited. Um, their their star rankings were a little too high, or is it a thing of maybe ASU hasn't done the best job of developing them? Um, I mean, yeah, I, that's kind of the million dollar question with this program, and probably the thing that's holding it back from being a team that is a legitimate top twenty five. Uh, kind of school right now. Um, you know, I, I think every case is probably a little bit different. Uh, Tayshawn Cherry uh, is a guy who had, you know, when he came in last year, he had obvious high-end skills, but there were also a lot of parts of his game as a freshman that you looked at and you said, okay, it's going to take him some time to be able to do this at the college level, whether it was his ball handling or his consistency on defense, things like that. Uh, Kamani Lawrence, I think, is a little bit different. You know, it was really hard to judge his freshman year because of the injury he had. Yep. Last season, he was kind of backlogged at that wing position where Cheetah yeah. was. Oh, I lost. I lost and, you here. Oh. Uh, yeah, just go back to your Cheatham thing or whatever. Kamani, you said backlogged. Okay. Are you just going to edit this? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, still can't hear you. Hang on. I'm in a slight dead zone. Can you hear me? Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, where do you want me to start from? Backlog. Uh, backlogged at a position where, you know, Zylan Cheatham played a lot of minutes. Bobby Hurley had Daquan Lake or Melo White next to each other in the front court a lot of last season. Um, but even then, Kamani had some games. I remember the, the Mississippi, Mississippi State, State game, game. when he hit that yeah. three. Las yeah. Vegas uh, played really well. Um, you know, if memory serves correct, he played much better and much more important minutes down the stretch last season. Uh, and he seemed like, I mean, to me, like when I talk about you know, some of the guys, like, he's the guy who I really thought would become, you know, the second best player on this team behind Remy Martin, maybe this season, yeah. or the third best behind Romello, uh, because he seemed like the guy who, all right, he'd had a couple of years in college to understand how the game worked. It seemed like last season he really started to learn his game to, yeah, be a guy who can stretch the floor and shoot it, but also showed some ability to put it on the floor, to get to the hoop, to finish around the rim. Um, I think part of this might also be the fact that you look at ASU the last three years, they they look very different in the way they play and the kind of lineups that they put on the floor. They look very different each of the last three years. And I think outside of a guy like Remy Martin and maybe Romello White, I, I'm sure it's been difficult for some other players, especially a Kamani Lawrence-type guy, to figure out exactly what kind of role he's supposed to be playing um, and, you know, Tayshawn Cherry probably fits in this category, too. Well, yeah, it's, uh, but it's two guys that are fours, and when you look at when they're at their best, they're both much better when they're in the corner hitting threes. And it just seems like kind of the way the offense goes when there's more forwards on the court and they're some of the lone shooters, they tend to have very good games. But when you start putting guard lineups out there and then it's them and Romello White, they rarely have any success, rarely score the ball at all. And I think that's what you were you were saying about this team just drastically changes so much, and and these guys 
sometimes get a little swept under the rug. I, right, and I think overall the players who have had the most success under Bobby Hurley are the ones who, if they are put into isolation, isolation situations, can make stuff happen. You know, we've seen Remy Martin really develop that part of the game from a guy who is a playmaker to a guy who now, look at this game on Saturday, you know, that wasn't exactly a uh, sophisticated play running a high screen, which Martin came around and, uh, you know, USC coach Andy Enfield was like, we, we messed that play up defensively. But for, mm-hmm. for Remy Martin to make a play like that, you know, that was obviously the case with Zylan Cheatham last year. I think it's the case with a guy like Alonzo Verge or Jalen Graham seeing, you know, watching some of his film and then watching him up close on Saturday. Uh, it seems like a guy who's really starting to learn. I, the play that sticks in my mind was when he had the block on one end in the first yep. half and then came down the floor and had the reverse layup. You know, I, that's the reality of Bobby Hurley's system is, is uh, guys are put in situations where, you know, there is a broad structure in which they play, but a lot of it is you have to create. You're going to have to try to beat guys. We're going to space the floor to give you uh, the room to be able to do those things. And the players who have been most successful under him are the ones who understand how to do that. And I, I, I think it makes it very clear, um, or correlates well at least, to why Kamani Lawrence, Tayshawn Cherry, Rob Edwards when he was in his shooting slump earlier this year, those guys are hot and cold and struggle sometimes and are better at others as they try to find their game at this level. And for some guys it takes longer than others. Sometimes it's because of the coaching staff and what they're doing. Sometimes it's just individual stuff. It doesn't work out with everybody. Yeah. Um, but yeah. it has been interesting you know, again, watching from afar, but seeing just how different this team looks than I think what you would have anticipated when they got knocked out of the tournament last year and trying to reject some of the roster and the way the minutes and production would shake out. Uh, this is not not really close to what I would have what I would have guessed. The the funny part is I remember last year when um, ASU started getting a few recruits and it was like, okay, wow, they could they could realistically throw out uh a lineup that is almost six foot four, six foot five, um, as the smallest person aside from Remy. You could have six foot eight, uh, Ramella White, then six foot eight, Cherry, then maybe six foot seven, Kamani Lawrence, and like six foot four, Rob Edwards. And it, it, it just seems like that none of that has come to fruition because all these guys are so hot and cold. And like you, you were saying, that's interesting about the, um, Bobby's Hurley structure offense is. Yes, it's a very loose structure where players have all this freedom to go make things happen. But when players can't make that thing happen, freedom is not exactly the best thing for them. And you see it against UCLA when Khalid Thomas hits three threes and then uh, Kamani Lawrence knocks down three. It's like, wow, this this is the greatest system of all time. These guys are really figuring it out. They know how to play. And then you see the first half of the, the USD game and it's like, what is happening? Like, what are they doing? Right. And it's like, are they even running a system? It's like, no, they weren't running a system in the, the UCLA game either. And, and I right. think that's a, the problem. Uh, is, yeah, it's a, you know, it's the same reason why within a week last year, ASU beat Kansas and then lost to Princeton. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and 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 I, I think the thing to remember uh, is that you know what overall what Bobby Hurley has done is, is you know if you look at the results has been a lot better than what a lot of his predecessors have been able to do. Oh, now, no, I, I, no. Yeah, but at the same time, I'm sure that, and this is, I'm sure, what the way a lot of ASU fans feel, 
uh, there's a lot of clear potential on the roster that they still have not quite been able to tap into. So it's a give and take kind of thing. Um, But I do think, you know, especially, like I said, these two games that AC played this weekend, and you'll know better than me, but this has to be one of the better stretches just of overall play that they've had all season, which which is encouraging as you get into, you know, some really important final weeks of the regular season for a team that right now is on the wrong side of the bubble. But yes. given the strength, the Pac-12 is going to have the chance to pick up some wins and maybe sneak in. Yeah, I was joking with um, someone else a couple days ago. It's like, ASU, this could be the worst worst team they've had in three years. And this might be the a year that they sneak into the tournament and don't go to Dayton. Like I just think that's right. how. Um, I mean, I had Jeff on a couple weeks ago, and he was talking like this could be um, some really bad teams could make the tournament, and it, it would be funny if the the year ASU almost sneaks in the most is the year they don't go to Dayton, or they go to right. Dayton for three straight years, and uh, the marketing team really has some uh, have some fun with that. I'll get to know that city really well. <laughs> oh, my God. I, did, you didn't go, did you? Uh, I have not been to Dayton, sadly. Oh, my really. God. So, I went. Uh, uh, no great uh, Western Ohio stories for you, I'm afraid. Is it, is it Western Ohio? Central, Western. Yeah. I thought it was, like, in between Cincinnati and Columbus. But yeah, I guess that's Western, Central, something. Um, not a fun place. The stadium's cool, though. Pretty nice for a college arena, but the city's uh, very bleak. Um, all right, we'll go back to, to the USC game because that was absolutely wild. I mean, the first half, it looks like Jonah Matthews is going to take USC to probably a 30-point win. At halftime, right. something something changed with ASU. And I was talking to, like, Khalid Thomas, who was joking that this was probably the, the third worst tirade Hurley's got on at halftime. St. Mary's, that 40-point loss, number one. That, that might be tough to beat. And number two was uh, Arizona game when they lost by 28 in Tucson. But this one, he said, was pretty pretty brutal. And it made sense. I mean, ASU was turning the ball over all the time. They were missing layups. Jonah Matthews, I mean, for the best player on the team to just get that many open looks, that was concerning. Um, second half, though, they come out in way more of a um, – a really pesky full-court press that seemed to trap the USC guards before half-court. And USC was not has not been a good team at controlling that press all season. I mean, ASU knew that coming in, that if you kind of fluster these guys, they're oftentimes going to make the wrong decision. I mean, when you talk to the players and Andy Enfield after, uh, did they kind of know that that was coming? Right. Um, so, you know, again, like, Full disclosure, I don't I haven't covered USC all season, but I've watched enough of their games um, and and spent enough time around them to know you know it's pretty clear with USC's roster their strength is not in their backcourt, especially it's not in their uh, ball handling and ability to like you're saying handle the press. One of the yeah. big talking points for USC coming into to this trip was how fast ASU plays, how the Sun Devils you know have one of the they're one of the higher-tempo teams in the country, how they like to speed up the game, how they like to try to press their opponents. And it was pretty clear in the second half that on the road with, again, uh, a USC backcourt that has been, and Andy Enfield admitted as much after, has been inconsistent with the way they take care of the basketball this season, uh, that it almost felt like 
one turnover started leading into another. And every time they came back down the floor, whereas they were moving the ball really well in the first half, uh, they started thinking a little too much. And they started getting uh, passive and cautious and, you know, almost playing themselves into mistakes. And, you know, some of those are cliche coaching terms, but when you have uh, uh, ball handlers who aren't, you know, who who lose confidence, that's what happens. Um, you saw it on the play where Rob Edwards, you know, pickpocketed a guy and went down and, then, and hit the three. You saw yeah. it on the play where Quentin Adlish, you know, threw what just was clearly a, just a, not a good pass where you're throwing back across your body. You're not looking where it's going into the middle of the floor, and Remy Martin intercepts it and goes down the floor and, and, and dunks the basketball. You okay, saw quick, uh, quick he, intermission. Uh, those two plays are, like, so interesting because Rob Edwards, who is – at times slumped hitting threes. He's like, yeah, those transition threes, like, that's just a layup. I was like, a layup? Anyway, he hit it, so I guess it's, I mean, it's valid, but that, that shot seems a lot tougher than some of the other ones that he's had. Second point, the Remy Martin, when he steals the ball from, who's that, Quentin Adlish? Mm-hmm. That was at, like, the 11-minute point. We'll get to this in a second. The 11-minute mark, yeah. didn't hit a field goal again until Remy Martin, the game winner. Like it is just, that is just how crazy that that uh, trout was. All right, go back. You your uh, your point. Yeah, well, and then and then the last one was uh, Ethan Anderson, the guard, uh, who who threw the ball away on that inbounds that led to the uh, you know Remy Martin getting fouled on the three pointer, also by Ethan Anderson. And that's you know that was a play where Andy Infield after the game goes, look, you have the whole baseline to inbound that ball. He didn't use it. He tried to make a, a a much further pass than if he had just taken three or four steps more to his right. And instead of completing it, you know, Tayshawn Cherry is able to pick it off. And it's little things like that uh, where ASU, if it runs the press well, they're pretty athletic, especially in the backcourt. They can force teams into these situations where they get really flustered. Uh, yeah. And, and yeah. to me, it's as simple as that this is what happened Saturday night. You had a USC team that had played well in the second half on Thursday against Arizona in a loss, but had, you know, made it once what was a 20-point game, a one-possession game in the last minute. Some of that confidence carried over to the first half on Saturday. They shot the ball really well. But -hmm. in the second half, ASU brought pressure on them. And, like I said, this USC backcourt that is not the strength of this team struggled to handle it. And if you're ASU and you have – like we talked about earlier, this much more athletic roster than, than they probably had in a long time. You can do these things that against teams that are, you know, equal you in talent or maybe even a little bit better can really balance the the, the playing field. Um, and, and that's yeah. what struck me so much is how even just a little, you know, pretty basic adjustment like what ASU did can have such an effect based on the kind of players you have and the intensity with which you run it. Yeah, and that was – what kept ASU in the game? Because they, there was a stretch where they didn't hit a field goal for 11 minutes. Now, I think there was, I want to say, six or seven free throws in there. So, I mean, that that's some point. Right, but right. the fact that you can go on 11 minutes without hitting a field goal, missing 15 straight and still win is absolutely incredible. Um, and, and more so way, in a good and bad way. Yeah, and, and by the way, you know, the the other part of this – beyond just forcing turnovers and getting easy buckets in transition, mm-hmm. is USC at its best is when Anyeku Kongwu is touching the ball in the post. It's when Nick Rakosevich can get out on pick and rolls and then 
come to the basket and, and, and score from, from the paint. But to be able to do all that, you have to be able to get set up in the half court. You have to be able to get the ball down low. And USC, that just never really happened in the second half at all on Saturday. They, they just they did not have, you know, you probably counted on both your hands a number of just good kind of work the ball, pass it around kind of possessions. And that's a credit to ASU defensively to be able to put that kind of stress on the Trojans who had the lead, who had control of the game, and to be able to shift just the, the pace at which that game was played and the way in which USC was executing was impressive. Yeah, and then we'll go to, to Remy's shot at the end. I mean, we saw it last year, that Kansas shot, for how much that meant to ASU to get that win. That was just such a an off-balance. I think he, he ran from the three-point line to the free-throw line, quickly threw it up, and got it in. I don't know if the ball was above with the hoops at 10 feet. I don't know if the ball was more than 10 feet, four inches. Like, the thing was just a rocket. And that was the same one again on Saturday when Remy comes off the ball screen, like you mentioned. I, there was, like, an – it was basically, like, uh, ASU describing it as kind of like an option of uh, Rob Edwards is going to set the screen and then kind of roll off it. And whichever way the defenders went, that was where the ball was going. But Remy just went so quick that he didn't even really look. He kind of had a little bit of space, jumps up. Was that 17-footer, you think? Yeah, I think, I, I think I wrote like about about 18 feet, yeah. Yeah, and just throws up a, a dart that hits the backboard and rolls around the rim three times. And it's just like, oh, my, like if that shot doesn't go in, people are going to be like, what What was that shot? And I think that's kind of the, the thing that people have come to learn about Remy is, is some of the shots he takes are very questionable, especially some deep threes he's thrown up early in the shot clock. But, man, when they go in, they are just, such uh, momentum swinging shots, and just because of who he is, the way he hits the shots, and they always just seem to come at, at big points. Um, what were your thoughts as that as that's rolling around the rim? Uh, well, you know the play, like you said, that's a play that anybody who's watched uh, ASU and in, in some of these close games, that's a play they've tried to run before. Um, yeah. Honestly, like okay, I this is the other thing I was thinking. When was the last time, and I know you didn't really watch this year, but the last two years, of they have rarely um, executed, like, a last-second play. Right. Or right. even at the half. Like, they're just botching so many times. So th- this was an interesting one to be like, oh, wow, that's, like, that's what it's supposed to look like. Yeah, well, and, and you know, part of this is, um, like I mentioned earlier, USC messed that up defensively. They messed up their switch, and they allowed Remy Martin to come off that screen and have that – two or three feet of um, space to be able to really get up and and step into that jump shot. Uh, Because I think the one thing that has been um, uh, repetitive with ASU when it comes to late-game possessions, I I specifically remember, I think it was the game two years ago at Washington, where Mickey Mitchell got caught under the basket because – ASU, their, whatever their first option was off the inbound wasn't there, and then things start to break down. And it ended up being, yeah, Mickey Mitchell you know, had a turnover underneath the hoop. I remember another game, I think last year, where or it must have been two years ago again, but Mickey Mitchell came running from under the hoop to the three-point line to heave up one at the buzzer. So, I remember yeah, if you're yep. defending, yeah, if you're defending ASU late in the game, history would say if you can take away that first option, that first shot, uh, you can, you're going to have a pretty good chance at, at coming up with a stop on that possession. 
but yeah, I mean, it was well executed, and it's another moment where you could start seeing this last year with the way that Remy Martin would sometimes take over games. Uh, yeah. Now, he can't do it all the time. You know, he's still a bit of an inconsistent shooter, um, and I think, you know, by the end of last season, Zylan Cheatham was really their go-to guy when they needed, you know, to go on a scoring run or something like that. But yeah. I look at the roster, yeah, I look at the roster this year, and I watch, you know, when you watch some of those key moments on Saturday, where is the ball going? Um, mm-hmm. in, in Remy Martin, during the first yep. half, when USD was going on a couple runs, he had one step back three that didn't go in, but then he had the near 30-footer probably from the yeah. – the arena logo that did go in in the second half, late in the game. When you mentioned Sherry it last year, too. Off, Hell, yeah. Remy when might have been the Sherry... third option with Dort. Exactly, yeah. And now he's and the, the surefire number one. Yeah, you know, when Tayshaun Cherry uh, makes that steal on the inbound, where where is he looking to get the ball? To Remy Martin, that last play. Yeah. He's being drawn up for with the, with the 1A option is Remy Martin. Um, yep. And that's important to have especially from the guy who has the ball most of the game, who has been the spiritual leader or one of the team <laughs> leaders in the locker room uh, the last couple the last couple years. And, you know, again, for, for me, coming at this from, okay, there's so much of this ASU team that doesn't look the way I expected. The one thing that did look that way was Remy Martin. From the, the yeah. way he was applying full-court pressure, was really at the point of some of the presses that they ran, to him having the ball in his hand at the end of the, at the end of games, uh, that 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 did look like something you would have expected last year. He yeah. is on the right sort of trajectory, and I think for you know you can point to guys like Kamani and Tayshawn Cherry and other guys and, and maybe question their development, but at the same time, on the other side of that coin, you look at a guy like Remy Martin, who has really consistently gotten better each year, who's gotten more important to the team's success each year, and has really embraced doing that in a in a way that that has to inspire confidence if you're if you're on that bench yeah okay jack this is uh what is it two months out a month out asu make the tournament in your eyes you, you know this is um the pac-12 this year you know i on in my game store on thursday and the usc arizona game i compared it to like a state fair bumper car ride where teams are just wow, crashing. Wow, what, what an analogy. Yes, I know. Shit. But, you know, teams are just crashing into one another, going up and down the standings, seemingly at random sometimes, uh, mm-hmm. when you look at some of these results that, that happen in the conference. And Oregon will lose to Stanford, and then Stanford, you know, goes to overtime with Utah, and then Utah almost beat USC at Galen Center uh, two weeks ago. Uh, you know, ASU loses to Washington State. Washington's in last place. It's just such a weird conference this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I would reference a piece that John Wilner wrote for the Mercury News this week about how the Pac-12 is in this really weird spot that it hasn't been in, in a couple of years where, okay, it looks like it's got three pretty much locked-in teams that are going to make the tournament. And then it's got this group of four to five teams that – three or four of them could make the tournament if the results play out the right way, or none of them could if, if the results happen that way. Yeah. So, you know, I look at ASU, and the, the two performances that ASU play, you know, put up this weekend, UCLA is a team that, you know, as you saw on Saturday, what they did in Tucson is not probably as bad as the record shows. And yeah. USC is a team that right now is 
on that 8-9 line, depending on what kind of brackets you look at. So, you know, they were a solid team. And ASU, outside of a 10- or 15-minute stretch in the first half on Saturday, really outclassed those teams, or yeah. outcompeted them, at least outperformed. The potential, so, therefore, is there, but it's probably going to take something like a, a, the, the long-awaited conference road sweep. Uh, it's going to mean that they cannot... They can't have, you know, their margin for error is so thin this year, so much thinner than it's been the last two seasons. I don't, you know, so my money would be on no, because the last couple years they've been in positions better than this and haven't handled them well. They're going to have to play, you know, That's pretty, so true. you know, yeah, and, and they're going to have to play pretty, pretty close to perfect or at least have pretty close to the perfect kind of results to get it. Yeah. They're capable of it. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, what do they have left? Eight conference games left? So they have eight conference games. Um, that's against the uh, Bay Area. So we got at Stanford, at Cal. Um, and, and right there, Oregon, that's the kind of trip. Like, if you're, if you're serious about making yeah. the tournament, you yeah. go sweep the, those two games. Yeah. Winning at Stanford so, isn't easy, but go sweep them. I, th- I think they could realistically lose two, man, two, three would – Seemingly, oh, man, I, I would say two, right. and I'd you, feel you, good about you, yourself. Yeah, if you know, if AC wins six of their last eight conference games, then yeah, uh, you, you'd say that they're they're probably, and you know, they have a good result in the Pac-12 tournament. That's probably going to put them yeah. pretty close to the cut line. But so again, you look at it right right now. How many ASU, times? How many? How many times yeah. has AC won six out of eight Pac-12 games under Bobby Hurley? Okay, it's not um, which even is not that again, eight, because eight. think about this weekend, so it would be eight out of ten. I mean, granted, it's going forward, but I mean, right. if you would look, yes, when is ASU won eight out of ten Pac-12 games? Exactly. Um, probably and, and not again, Bobby Hurley's tenure. That's not to say that can't happen, but there's I, there certainly I don't think has been a lot of evidence to suggest that this year's team is better equipped to do that than right. either of the last two seasons' teams. And you're going to be I, asking something that neither of those last two teams could do. Um, yeah. It could happen. And, again, the fact yeah. that, you know, I think when you looked at the roster turnover and you looked – this was pretty clearly – this year's team was going to pretty clearly not be as good as the previous two seasons. Um, yeah, no doubt. And so the fact that they and, – and they took some – you know, they didn't play nearly as well early in the season as they did the last couple of years. So the fact that they've they still recovered have a little bit – Right, but the fact that they've recovered from what was probably – a, a somewhat disappointing or at least not the same overwhelming kind of uh, non-conference schedule or non-conference results that they had the past couple of years. The fact that, you know, to me, that they put themselves in a position to at least realistically make a run at the tournament says something. But now they're going to have to take it up another level. And yeah. this past so, weekend was a pretty good start for that. Uh, keeping it going is has, has always been – the trick, and it's a problem a lot of college teams run into. But it'll be interesting. I think the Pac-12 is a really just interesting basketball conference to follow this year. Yeah, I I wrote a story this week where I just asked basically everyone on the team, like, what what has led to the inconsistencies? And the, the weird, I mean, I wasn't really um, thinking I was going to get a just super similar answer all the way around. But a lot of the guys just kind of said like, we will we'll get too high off wins. And that was the thing that you kind of saw after the the Arizona game is you go lose to Washington State and it's like, well, there it is right there of them getting too high. Now I will say 
with that, maybe this team has turned a corner because, man, that USC game seemed like one that in years prior would have gone to a 20-point loss at half. And, and maybe that was a sign of, hey, this, this team's a little bit different. Um, because when you look at right now, you're right. They're on the outside of the bubble. They're 54th in net, which isn't terrible. They're 62nd. Better than they were last year. <laughs> oh, yeah. 62nd in Ken Palm. So you're right. You're right. You have numbers that are good enough to get you in, but um, they just haven't developed the resume. And you're right. If they lose, if they win the next six of the next eight, it almost seems like they're a lock. I mean, right now I look at Bracket Matrix, which compiles 92 different brackets from people. ASU's in 26 of them. It's honestly kind of surprised me. I thought that was going to be lower. Um, but when you look at that, it's, it's yeah, they gave themselves a real shot this weekend. And now it's going to be interesting to see, hey, is this the point when they actually almost turn the corner as a program and, and start to, to be consistent when it counts? Um, that's going to be interesting. Uh, well, thank you, uh, Jack, for really reliving your, your, uh, your glory days journalism. This has to be fun. Yes, it was. Uh, wow. It's now, been fun. To, uh, it, was my first, it was my first game back on actually ASU's campus since, uh, since taking the job at the time. So it was fun to go back, see some familiar faces. Uh, yeah, good, uh, gonna, good to be back. And, and, you know, the highlight of it all is returning to uh, the Polo Jays for sure. Oh, this is Which I hope, I, yeah, you know, I'm glad, that, uh, I'm glad that it still resonates with at least, you know, a, a faction of the fan base because it was fun. It was fun starting it. I, there's not, there's not a lot of uh, ASU basketball specific podcasts, so it was it was a fun thing to start. And uh, as I've told you off the air, Jordan, you just done you've done one heck of a job keeping it going. Wow, uh, thank you so much. That's High praise, I'm so sure. <laughs> oh my God, you have no idea. It's gonna just carry me through this. And now, Jack, we're gonna we're gonna send you out with the what is it theme song? No, it's not a theme song. Intro music. Intro. Oh, extra. Wow. Outro music. Outro music. Yes. All right. See you then. All righty. Thanks again to Jack for coming on. And now here's our interview with ASU assistant coach Rashawn Burno. Cohesive to what you guys are asking of individual players within the roles. Absolutely. Um, you know, when you, you change so much over in the roster as we did, and specific roles, whether it was Lou Z losing those guys, um, and you get, you know, I think we had five or six new guys. So it took time uh, for guys to get comfortable in the roles. But now that we're what, 24 games in, or, yeah, 24, yeah, 24 games in. Um, Toward the last seven and ten games, guys are starting to understand what's, what the expectations are from Coach Early and from the team. So it's, it's been a, a good thing to see. But, yeah, it, it took some time, but finally guys are getting it. What were the challenges of that process, of just talking to everybody and getting them to? Just um, I think everyone wants to do well. Um, everyone wants to have their impact on the program. And so getting guys to understand there's different ways to do it. Um, you know, so just – Guys who came in highly touted from the JUCO ranks, um, you know, House came in pretty decent rep coming out of high school. So it's just a, it's a different way of, of doing business at the collegiate level than it is at those two respective stops. So just getting these guys to see what it go what goes into preparation, 
you know, making adjustments on the fly. So that took a little bit of a little bit of time for these guys to figure out. Yeah, and, and you changed your starting lineup quite a bit as mm-hmm. as a part of that, but also guys are getting a deep bench, a lot of minutes. Mm-hmm. So how have those aspects kind of played into everything? We knew we were going to have depth, depth going into the season. That's the way we, we wanted the roster to be. Um, two years ago with uh, Shannon, uh, Trey, and Cody, we didn't have depth, and so we never wanted to be in that position. Um, but also the, having that much has allowed practice to be more competitive, especially in the month of January, February, where you want to start playing your best basketball. Yeah, so... Uh, is that exciting that just that this team maybe has more to squeeze out of itself yes. at this time of year? Yeah, it is because I still I still think we got room room to grow um, as a team um, on both sides of the ball, but having the flexibility to um, have practice to be competitive for an hour and twenty minutes is, is is really really refreshing because now guys are starting to get more confidence right, and we start to get more confidence in certain lineups. Um, certain uh, mismatches. So um, having depth has helped us, kept us fresh, and, and especially for Remy, to have Remy not have to take every rep in practice is huge. Verge, Rob, we can miss a match and give these guys some, some downtime to recover, uh, but also just keep them fresh. I think it's the most important part down the stretch. Do you, go ahead. Guys often kind of say that you're the one who's in there talking about, hey, you need to move the ball, and you'll show them specific <laughs> stats about what their shooting percentages are if they move it around the arc one or two times. Like, How effective has that been over the last couple of weeks? Do you think it's like finally getting into their minds? Yeah, it, it, it's a challenge because, you know, the game is, it, it comes and flows. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, coach is a, a, a player's coach. Yeah. And so he likes to get guys going but and and with that comes a lot of responsibility mm-hmm. um i think you know the last month guys are starting to see if i do it this way the game yeah. will come easy for me yeah. and also for my teammates so just constantly showing them film because um, sometimes in the speed of a game you may miss something it's yeah. like going 100 miles per hour and your exit's right there yeah right it's hard to get off yeah and so just mainly showing these guys how to slow the game down and see and more importantly take what the defense gives mm-hmm. you do you remember some of the, the percentages of just when there's n- no movement around the arc versus one movement versus two? Um, yeah, I mean, if you look at our game versus um, UCLA, mm-hmm. um, we shot over, I think we were like 1. 1.29 points per possession when the ball so- side changed twice. Okay. Versus we had 17 possessions, and I think we was at like a 0.89. When it didn't change? When it didn't change. Gotcha. And so we, it's something that we emphasize, something that I, I value, mm-hmm. because it, it, it's just a fun and brand of basketball when the ball's moving, and then you allow the defense to make a mistake. Yeah. When you don't allow the defense to make a state, mistake, then you're, you're playing, it's, it's just a lower percentage game. Is it a challenge, especially when you're pressing, like against USC, to get guys to then still have the discipline on the offensive side because of the way that the pace is going? Yeah, um, uh, somewhat, somewhat, but, uh, you know, we're going to place in the 70s in regards to possessions. And so the, the, the key part is, you know, you want, to, you want to have your best reps for a larger percentage of, your, of those 70 possessions, right? And so we can get double side changes in like, let's say, 55 to 60. That's going to increase our point total a la UCLA. But when you have a lot of possessions where you're going one pass shot, two pass shot, and the ball's not moving, typically when you're playing against good teams, they can easily affect how you, how you score the ball. And so for us, just a, just having a, a balance of moving the ball, keeping the defense honest, and taking advantage of, of, of certain situations, I think makes us a, a dangerous team. Do you talk to the players about just 
the ability to peak at this time of year and what, what are those conversations like? Just letting them know, like for us to make a run, we gotta be we gotta be a connected unit. Um, and to, to win down the stretch and to win on the road is very, very important that we come in with the right, right mind frame. Um, scouting, I think at this point of year is overrated. I think it's more about your team, more about where, where you guys are mentally. Um, since we've been here, some of our best games have been on no like one day prep. <laughs> Um, because it goes back into the mentality and the mindset of all your guys ready to go. Um, I like Washington State versus Washington. So those are the things that we try to focus in on more, more so than you know, um, you know anything else. Is just getting these guys ready to mentally go out and compete for 40 minutes. But we definitely spend a lot of time on. You want to make sure you're peaking at the right moment, a la you know uh, when we're 12 and 0. Yeah. Right versus last year's team where we started to make a run right around the same time right so but that goes into depth that goes into you know uh making sure we got enough balance uh in practice to where guys aren't you know very very front loaded with yeah. reps and that's what we've done this year we're having more people to allow Remy to be fresh and rob and the guys that you need to, to produce at a high level down the stretch has it gotten to the point where you can kind of um when you're doing the f watching film and kind of tracking the numbers about uh the possessions it's like you can tell just by how the outcome, how many kind yeah. of goes each way. Yeah, when we when we were really really good on both ends of the ball, um, the higher percentage of multiple side changes versus when we struggle offensively versus you know good teams, you can tell you know the ball is sticking a little bit longer than we would like. Um, and so we, we try to tell our guys through film and also um, through practice, like listen, this is you can make the game extremely easy for each other if you guys do X. You want a difficult game take this route yeah. and so and then those guys got to make a decision on how they want to play it has is verge really starting to harmonize with the other guards and just the way that things are functioning yeah and and you can see that in his play um he, he's a kid that has the ability to impact the game like tremendously in offense yeah. like he can go off and, and, and put 20 mm -hmm. before you know it but he has to do it in the flow of the game and so, and then more importantly, the other guys got to flow off of him and vice versa. When we do that a la uh, UCLA, we're really hard because we're going to defend. We're going to get out, we're going to defend, we're going to try our best to, you know, take you out of your sets and make you do something you don't like to do or, or second or third or fourth option. So Verge now, with his understanding of how the game is moving and flowing, he's become a better player for himself but also for the team because now coming off the bench, you get to see, all right, this is how they're doing it. Now I can pick my spots. Um, it's almost like being a Monday quarterback. Uh, and then when you get in a game at the 15th, whatever mark the coach puts him in, he has a perspective on how the game is being played. Is that like uh, Khalid Thomas, too? Yes. It, it seems like he gets in there for spurts and just has a great showings. But is there something he needs to work on on defense, like to, to keep himself out there longer? I think for us, the four position is by committee. Okay. Um, with Tayshaun, and, and it's unique. They all bring different uh, qualities. Tayshaun's energy, passion, hustle. Khalid is a little bit more of a of an athlete that can get up and down, but can space the floor. Um, you know, so those two are going to split. Mickey's more of a physical brute, like he's gonna you know he's gonna bring that internal toughness that you need yeah. um, when you're playing against the UCLA. You know, those guys with a big front line. So we we've come to the conclusion those that's a three-headed monster. Okay. Um, it's going to split minutes now. You know, coach has the luxury of who's playing well to yeah. extend their minutes. Um, but we're also trying to we're we're trying to change pace when we make substitutions at the four. Has it been at all uh, 
maybe not a surprise, but just the fact that you lose Z and Dort, and they're such good defensive players, and yet you can hang your hat on the defensive side of the ball? Um, yeah, because you're losing, like, they were good team defenders, but they were also exceptional individual defenders. A la, I mean, like, lose starting yeah. Yeah. solely um, because he can defend. Yeah. Um, and Z's presence. Um, and that's why I think the first part of the year, the numbers weren't as great. Um, but to this year's team is a better, what well, had to be a better team defensive team, more so than, all right, my best guy versus your, all right, Lou, you go get him. Mm-hmm. You go get him. Um, so, um, but we, we're more team oriented uh, because we don't have a physical group like Z or Lou who's just gonna wear you down. House is more, you know, change the pace. You know, mm-hmm. Remy, you gotta conserve House. All right, go get him. Like he's like the pit bull, go get him. And then hopefully we'll wear you down by changing pace and, and keeping you off balance. Is there a benefit to knowing that you don't need certain things from certain guys on any given night because you have other guys that all can kind of make it work together? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think, you know, the key, what we do defensively, our goal is to try to inevitably get into your legs in the second half and then um, mainly keep you off balance. I think without press, we're taking hopefully practice time away from you meaning you're, you're prepping for what, what we're doing defensively. Yeah. And so there's something, there's something else that you're missing in, in regards to what you're trying to get accomplished. And so um, we, we want to we just wear you down. And there's times where we don't press. But you're thinking about it. <laughs> you're like, all right, when, when's that avalanche coming? And so it's, just a, it's, a, it's a luxury we've had um, this year that's helped us. And it helped, like the USC game, it won a game for us. Yeah. We were, not good offensively, but we had 24 turnovers mm-hmm. um, that we forced, and we got out in transition and got some key uh, stops, and we kept them from scoring. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we didn't score for 11 minutes, but they didn't score a ton either. Mm-hmm. Mainly, it's usually someone doesn't score for 11 minutes, the game is like lopsided. <laughs> mm-hmm. But we did enough to keep it in striking distance, and that's your goal as a, as a coach, is to keep it in striking distance and potentially have the game to win or tie. With all the depth, and you mentioned the, the four position by committee, has it been kind of tough this year to, to figure out how to, when to rotate guys in and all that stuff? Uh, yeah, for Coach Shirley, because I'm not the head coach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but no, it, it's tough because, you know, you, these guys all bring great qualities. Yeah. Man. These guys are competitors. So, yeah, it's been tough. Yeah. But Coach has done a tremendous job of finding a rotation that works. Yeah, awesome. Thanks so much, Always Sean. Appreciate it. That'll do it for this week's episode of the Pull-Up Jays podcast. Sun Devils play Stanford on Thursday and Cal on Sunday. We'll be back next week to talk about those games. But just for reference, Stanford, that's easily a quad one game. Uh, the Cardinal, I believe, are, are top 30. And because it's a away game, it's 1-75. to Cal, though, it right now is a quad three game because uh, Stanford – or, sorry, Cal is – in the 150s and uh, away is 136 to 240. But they could get back. A few wins might get them into a quad two game. But those are two games that if ASU really wants to um, kind of solidify themselves on the right side of the bubble this weekend, they need to sweep the series. But um, this ASU team over the last couple of years has, has been inconsistent. The road sweeps have not been um, the easiest thing for the Sun Devils under Bobby Hurley. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see if they can keep momentum after probably the best weekend of the season, beating UCLA and coming back against USC. So uh, we'll break it all down next week. Until then, thank you. Have a good one.